Well, good morning. Welcome to Stuttgart Harvest Church. We're in part number two of a brand new series called I Love This Place. And I want you to know I really do. I love this place. And I know many of you are going to love this place too, but perhaps maybe you're new to Stuttgart Harvest Church. I just want to tell you, you may not love this place yet. You may not love me. You may not even like me, but you possibly will grow to love this place, just possibly. But I want you to know you're under no obligation or pressure to do so. You have picked a great time to come because it gives you an opportunity to just kind of peek into Stuttgart Harvest Church and to see kind of what our heartbeat is, what we're like. That's what this series is about. You've picked a great time to investigate Stuttgart Harvest Church. So I'm glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here today. And I hope even if I'm bad today, I hope you picked up at the cafe a good snack. That'll Don't throw it at me if I'm bad, but just have a good snack and a good, you'll have a good sleep, a good rest. Someone will wake you up when we're done. It's going to be okay. I am glad that you're here though to investigate. You've picked a safe place to investigate the claims of Christ. As Donnie said this morning earlier, I'm glad that you're here. Let me ask you a few questions. These are rhetorical, which means you just, I'm going to ask, don't respond. Just something to think about. What do you do when you make somebody that you love, somebody you care about, what do you do when you make them mad? Or you've hurt their feelings, you've offended them, you've upset them. Most of us, if you're like me anyway, most of us, after we get over our pride, in other words, after we get that out of the way, because for me, that's what comes up first, and I don't want to admit it, I don't want to deal with it, it's their fault, it's never mine, right? But once I get over my pride, then I really, I do want to do something about it. And I want to make it right. I want to make things better. I want to make it up to them. You know, so if it's a friend, we typically will bend over backwards to kind of do nice things, to make things right if we've hurt that friend. Um, husbands, you know, we'll typically go out and buy something, right? We'll buy something to make up for the offense. Um, wives, uh, well, let's be honest. It's usually the men, right? It's our fault. So we don't have to cover that. But as parents, as parents, um, a lot of times if we have, you know, maybe we've kind of crushed our child's spirit by something we have said, then sometimes we want to make it up to them. We want to make it better. Maybe we let them do something that maybe we don't normally let them do or something they've been wanting to do, we let them do that. Most of us, when we have hurt somebody or we have offended them, if it's somebody we love, at some point we begin to work on it and try to make it right, try to make up for what we did or what we said. We, we begin listening closely for a few days because we want to hear it. We're, we're sensitive to their reactions, to how they respond to something. For a period of time, we become more sensitive to that. We watch for things and, and that maybe we can do. We're on the lookout for things that we can do, uh, extra things, right? We kind of ramp up our attention and our attentiveness so that we can once again make them happy with us because that's where we want to get. We want them to be happy with us again. And within time, we typically begin to slip back into that same behavior or that attitude or we neglect things and it becomes hurtful again and we offend them again. And so we go back to work at making it up and making it up to them and making things better, making things right by doing things we know that we need to do, right? Um, so that's kind of the cycle we find ourselves in with relationships. We offend, we make up for what we did wrong, things get better, then we get comfortable in that, and we offend again, and we start over. We make up for what we did wrong, we get comfortable, we offend, and we repeat this cycle. It's not necessarily a healthy cycle, but we, re we repeat that cycle because it does work for us, right? It does get us back to where we need to be and it makes them happy with us again. Most of us have some kind of cycle like that in our relationships that we repeat. Now, here's where we want to turn the corner this morning, though, because we do that in every relationship, most of us, every relationship in our lives, including our relationship with God. Here's how that works. I was bad. Or at least I was not good, right? We can at least agree on that. I wasn't good. 
So I need to make up for that by doing something. So I do something good to make up to God for what I did wrong. So sometimes we find ourselves out, I'm going to go to church. Maybe I haven't gone to church in weeks or months or maybe even years, some cases. And so we say, I, I did something wrong. I need to make up to God for that. So I say, I'm going to go to church. Or sometimes we say, I, I did something wrong. I got to make up to God for that. So maybe when the giving bucket comes by, we put a little extra in. Or maybe if we don't normally give, then we just put something in. And we say, I'm trying to make up to God for what I did wrong. Or maybe we even do things outside of when the church gathers. And we do things in just as we're at work or just living life. And we do good things for people around us because we know I've done something bad and God, God it, I need to do this for God to make up for what I did wrong. So we do things for people who can't even pay us back and we do the, something for them. Or maybe we go home and we decide, you know, I need to make up for this, for what I did. So we get our Bible out and maybe we read it like really hardcore, like 30 minutes right in a row. And we just stay in it, stay in it, stay in it and read and read. Or, or maybe we opt to do, maybe we read just a little bit, but we do it for, for like two or three days in a row and we just read some out of the Word because we know I've got to do something to make up for what I did. I, I need to do that. Or maybe you say, I need to start praying. I, I, I've got to do something good to, because God knows what I did and so I need to make up for that. And so maybe we two or three nights in a row before we go to bed, we, we pray and we talk to God and we try to do our best to communicate and, and express things to him. Or maybe we just look around us and do extra things for people in our lives, for people around us. We know God wants us to do something. We've got to make up for what we did. And so we look around and we look for ways that we can do that. We're nicer to people around us. We're maybe more patient with our coworkers or with our children. We look for ways to do things because I did something bad. I, I, I need to do something good because I did something bad. Um, and then when we do those things, though, for many of us, very often, we do feel better when we do those things. Sometimes even if we do enough things or we do the right things, we can even get these things, just this warm, fuzzy kind of feeling, this good feeling inside because we did do some of these things. Now, we can get trapped in this cycle, this cycle of doing good when we do bad. Now, some of you, there's a word that describes what I'm talking about. And this word, I, I just, I know it. This word can be very offensive. Okay, so but, so, but there's a word that describes this. So don't, don't leave or check out on me just yet. Just kind of listen to where we're going with this whole discussion today. Don't take just part of it. But there's a word that describes this whole activity of when I hurt God or I do something wrong, of me making up for it by doing something good. Here's the word that describes that. The word is religion. That's the word that describes it. Now, this next statement is even more shocking, possibly, or more offensive than that statement, that word. Here's this statement. God hates religion. He absolutely despises religion. But we, we don't. We have a tendency to settle for religion because, here, here's one of the reasons, because we're making up for what we did wrong. We're making up. We're, if we did something wrong, we have to make up for it. So that's what we do. So we're doing something. We settle for religion because we're doing something. And if we do it long enough or do it the right way, we will get the warm fuzzies, a good feeling about what we've done. You see, religion makes us feel better because we did something, because we are doing something. I was bad, so I need to do something to make up for the bad. That's why I do something good. And then 
I feel better. Me, hardly making up for my wrong is me trying to re-earn God's smile. It's me trying to re-deserve God. Me trying to make up for it. Working, doing something to get back into God's favor. Working to keep God from getting angry at me. Working to keep God from doing something bad to me because I did something bad. Working for me to make God happy again, that is religion. And religion, it's this like never-ending pit of me climbing out because I'm always making up for something that I've done wrong, always, forever, trying to make up for the bad. When I do bad, and I'm in this pit, I have an obligation to do something good or to do extra good because I don't want bad things to happen to me. See how that works? So here's the focus. When it's religion, the focus is on what I can do. The focus is on what I must do, what I should do, what I ought to do, what I need to do. The focus is on me and what I am doing. And God simply hates religion. There are many, many places in the Bible that talks about it. I just pulled out one little snapshot of how God feels about religion. And I just want to offer this snapshot to you and we'll move on. Amos uh, chapter 5 verse 21. God says, I hate your show and pretense. In other words, he says, you're just pretending. I hate it. You're going through the right motions, he said, but I hate it because of the way it's happening. He says the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. In other words, these were things that God told them they need to do. But he says, you're doing it and I hate it, he says. This is interesting. He says, I will not, verse 22, I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. Again, those were things God told them to do. But he says, I won't, I won't even notice your choice peace offerings. He says, this is all amounting to religion. And I hate it. And it's even the things that God told them to do. That's what's so interesting here. Verse 23, away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. This is God saying, I hate religion. And over and over again, that's the message in in the Bible. God said, "I, I don't like religion. I hate religion. Even though you're doing actions, you're doing motions, details of what I've asked you to do, God is saying, I I hate the religion, the way this is coming out. It's like you're doing it to make up for something or or you're doing it and then you're going to run right back to that other thing again. He says, I hate, I hate religion. And God does. He hates religion because I guess maybe because it's full of obligation. And it's empty. It's empty of relationship. It's full of me. It's full of what I must do, what I should do, what I ought to do, what I have to do. And it's empty of relationship. Now, here's why. Maybe perhaps this is why God hates religion, because it's full of me and what I have to do out of obligation, empty of relationship. Because in the New Testament, Jesus describes us. And here's what he says. He says, I no longer call you servants. Now, a servant has to. They're obligated to. They must, right? He says, I don't call you servants anymore. In other words, it's not obligation between you and me. It's not a have to, ought to, should. He said, I don't call you servants. You know what he said about you? He said, I now call you friends. I call you friend now. That is a relationship. A servant is obligated. They have to. But a friend? A friend has a whole different motivation. It's not obligation. When it's a friend, we get to introduce this word called love. 
and gratefulness. Jesus said, you're no longer my servant where you have to follow me. You are my friend. We have a relationship and we get to be together. Wow, that, that's amazing. This is an amazing shift of thinking. But you know what? This is even present in the Old Testament. All the laws and stuff are there. When the, day of, the days of Noah, there was no law yet, but God looked at Noah and said, guess what? I call you my friend. And then you look at the life of Abraham, and we hear about it also in the New Testament, the book of James, but God looked at Abraham. This was also before the law. He looked at Abraham and he said, guess what? I call you friend. Wow. God desiring a friendship, a relationship with his creation, an everyday walking, talking, sharing, listening, everyday relationship with God himself. That is amazing. God wants a relationship with you and with me an intimate relationship. This is a love relationship, not a guilt relationship. Not a relationship that says, okay, now I've got to pay you back, God. Not a relationship that says, okay, you did that for me. Now I'm obligated to have to do this or have to follow. No, our response to God is not out of obligation. God wants that response from us to be out of friendship. Our God our God who paid the price of our own sin, he paid that for us. And our response, God wants, is not a response of obligation. Oh, now I have to. Mm -mm. It's a response that he wants, a response of love, a response of friendship, a response that said, God, you... You get my best. You get the first place of my life. It causes us to burst with an emotion of love, not an obligation that we have to shoulder. Not a worry that if I don't do this, then something bad's going to happen to me. That's obligation. He says, no, I want your love. Now, the Bible has a word to describe this, this relationship of love, our response to God. The Bible has a word for this, and this word, and you hear us talking about it, the word is called worship. And God wants your worship, and he does deserve your worship, but you know what? He desires your worship. But here's the tricky thing. If we give God our worship because we're trying to make up for something that we did wrong, then God looks at it and says, you just gave me religion. You just gave me religion. You didn't give me worship. If we give him worship because we did something bad and we need to make up for it, he says that's religion. You're feeling obligated. You feel obligated to go meet with the church and worship him. It's an obligation. You're giving me religion. He would say, you're not giving me what I want. And that's worship through a relationship. So how how do we make sense of this religion versus relationship, this tension that exists between the two? We're going to get you started on this journey this morning. We're not going to take you all the way to the end. I don't know that we even could if we tried. But we definitely are going to get you pointed in the right direction. If we're going to look at this word worship and and the way that we understand it today, maybe we need to go all the way back to as the church was first put together. And we see that in the book of Acts. And we're going to look at one verse just for a moment here, Acts chapter 2. And we see how the church kind of put this together, began to put this together. And here's one tiny piece of that puzzle, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And it says, And all the believers... 
they devoted themselves. See, they had met together, began to meet together as a church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I'm just going to pause there. It says a whole lot more about it, but I'm just going to pause there because that's one part. We see in the birth of the church, they met together and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So as followers of Jesus for us today, those of you who are followers and then even those of you who are still checking it out and investigating it, that's okay too. You're, you're here with us as you do that. For those who have chosen to be followers, though, you're meeting here together as the church. And what we're doing in this very moment is even what they did back then as the church was formed. They met together and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that's what we're doing today. I'm not the apostle. We're devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We find that in the Word of God. And we have devoted ourselves to what the prophets said in the Old Testament. And we devote ourselves to what the apostles have written in the New Testament as, as we learn in this relationship we're in as we follow Jesus. That's part of what we're doing today. As we sit down and we devote ourselves to this teaching, we do that every single week together. But what does this worship thing look like today? Because we accomplish part of worship on Sunday mornings during what we call this is a worship experience. We accomplish part of worship. We teach you from Scripture. We're not teaching you my words. We're teaching you from what the apostles have written and what the prophets in the Old Testament have written. That's how we teach you. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but before we can get there, we, st we still need to understand this word worship. How do we accomplish that? Because it's not an obligation. It's more of a response of love and gratefulness. So in order to help us separate religion from relationship and how this is all mixed in with our worship, let's talk about what we do here at Stuttgart Harvest Church. For us, let's just kind of get first things first, and we're going to work on that today. We won't arrive. We just want to get you started. And so in our purpose statement at Stuttgart Harvest Church, you can see it every, every worship guide that we print on the inside when you open it up, off to the right, there's our purpose statement, and it says that we are loving the Father, family, and friends. That's all we do. That's all we're trying to do as a church. That's it. But let's take, if we're going to get first things first, let's take the first part of that purpose statement that says we're loving the Father. And let's break that down to help us understand what does it mean for us as a church to love the Father. Because I would say that one word applies to that. That is worship as we are loving the Father. So let's get first things first this morning. Let's love the Father. How do we love the Father? That is worship. And worship is what describes us loving God. As we're loving God, that is worship. So that means this, that worship is much more uh, than, than what we do when we gather here and I teach you from God's Word, or one of our pastors teaches you from God's Word. It's more than that. Now that's part of worship, that, that's part of it, but there's so much more to it. It's not enough on its own. So Worship is more than a song. We've already had a song together. We're going to do two more in just a moment as, as I finish this. But worship is more than singing songs of praise to God. Now, that's involved in worship. It's, it's a part of worship, but that on its own cannot describe worship. Worship is more than what we do when we meet here in just about an hour, a little bit over an hour. It's, it's more than that. That can be part of it, but worship is more than that. So let's see what Jesus has to say about worship. Let's see what he has to say, he, how he describes it. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. He describes worship 
in that one single verse. In other words, he's saying, if you're going to worship, you're going to give God first place in your life. Loving God by giving him first place in your life. And that first place in your life, you know what? It really, it's really the best place in your life. Loving God by giving him the first place, by giving him the best place of all of you. That's worship. And you say, okay, Harley, that sounds reasonable, but what does it mean? How, how do we do that? In 2016, how do we do that? So we're going to give you a few hints. Again, this is not conclusive. This is not the whole story. This is a part of it that will get you moving in that direction. But here's how. We want to get you started by saying you need to give him first place by this. His kingdom comes first. Now, Jesus tells us this. He puts it in the context of worry. People were worried about what they were going to eat, how they were going to live. They were worried about just life and decisions in life, and they had anxiety about it. And I know we all have those same anxieties. And Jesus said, listen, don't worry. So this is the context. Don't worry about this. Don't have anxiety about all of this. He said, but do this. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness. And then he said, and then all these things, these things you're worried about, this anxiety, he said, that's all going to be taken care of. That's all going to be done. Don't worry about it. But do this. Seek first his kingdom. Now, I'm going to give you our bottom line a little early this morning, and we're going to refer to it several times, but here it is, based upon what we see in Scripture. Because you love him, that's because you love God, because you love him, give him your first, your best, not your leftovers. Because you love him, give him your first, give him your best, not your leftovers. And here he said, seek first, give him your first, your best, not your leftovers. And he said, and the way he said it was, put my kingdom and my righteousness, put that first. First place in your life, best place in your life. And then the reasonable question after that is, okay, Harley, but what does that mean? Kingdom first, his righteousness first. Okay, so this is not a complete answer, but it's going to get you on that journey, on that road, okay? That's all we're trying to do today is, is get you a little further down that road toward this. So I think if we're going to give him first place, put his kingdom, his righteousness first, I think we can say this. We need to seek him first. And here's the first hint, the first thing I would suggest. Maybe you need to seek, or we, including me, we need to seek him with the first part of every day. The first part of every single day. You know, Jesus even did this. Jesus did this. Is in Mark, here's a snapshot of, of a moment when Jesus did this. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. I don't have time to focus on all the things around this, which are so amazing, but this is a picture, a snapshot of Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, Jesus, praying spending time with, in relationship, talking to God the Father via prayer. That's really crazy cool. We don't have time to focus on it, but here is a, a, is a snapshot of Jesus giving God, God himself giving God, it's crazy, but it's cool, the first of his day. But here's our tendency if you're like me, this is a struggle. Our tendency is to give Jesus time in our day if time opens up. To give Jesus time in our day if we get some free time later in the day. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus actually set his iPhone and got up early. I mean, it wasn't Apple, right? Ooh, bad joke. Bad bad pastor. <laughs> but he got up early. He got up early. I don't know how he got up early. 
that something, and it went off, and he got up early, and he spent time with God. But, you know, our tendency, well, our tendency is if it works out, if I can make it happen later. But that wasn't what Jesus did. Jesus made it work out by putting it at the first of his day where he had control over when he got up. We lose control pretty much about 30, 40 minutes after we get up, don't we? After that, our day is accounted for, and we have to just roll with it as it rolls. But Jesus, he took it on the front end. Maybe that's a good hint for us. Maybe part of putting God's kingdom first, his righteousness first, maybe part of that is for us to give him the first part of our day. Not if it works out, not if, not if I can manage it, but no, I'm going to plan for it. I'm going to make it happen. And you know why? This is so cool. Why? Because your friend is waiting. Your friend is waiting on that time with you the first of your day. Because you love him, give him your first, your best, not your leftovers. So we can give him the first of our day. Now you're doing today, you're doing this next one. Maybe we also, part of this puzzle is that we could give him the first of our week. And you've chosen to do that today to giving the first part of your week. And that, you know what that does? It helps us set our steps for the week. It helps us set our focus. And in fact, as we end today, we're going to suggest to you many different things, one of which you could focus on for the week. And that's what us meeting together, it kind of helps us set our focus for the week, how we monitor our steps with Jesus during the week. You're doing that today. So maybe part of this first things first is giving God this relationship we have with him, giving him the first of our day and giving him the first of our weeks because we love him. We give him first. We give him our best, not our leftovers. Now this next one, so often you don't hear this talked about in the context of worship, but we're going to because this is really where it belongs. So as I brush through this next topic, don't stand up running as if your hair's on fire because just hang in here with me. Maybe giving him first place in our life also involves the first of what we produce. Listen to how Proverbs writes this. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything, the best part of everything you produce. Now, a lot of us push back when we hear, hear the word wealth because you may say, Harley, you do not understand. Wealth is not part of my life. And I hear you. As we look at our lives, we look around us and we see so much and we would say, I'm not wealthy. But we need to place our lives not in the context of the United States of America. We need to place our lives in the context of all creation equally loved and adored by God. And I want you to know the average income worldwide for most of the world, is less than $2 a day. And compared to the world, every single one of us in this room, we are extremely wealthy. We can't compare ourselves to your bosses, to your supervisors, to the the people who own and run the companies for which we work. You compare yourself to the world and you are extremely wealthy. In fact, they would look at you and they would say, oh my word, what, what, what do you do with all of that? I can't imagine having that wealth. 
And Proverbs says, honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything you produce. Now today in 2016, I'm not quite sure how it was last year, but I know this year, if we're talking about the best part of what we produce in our world, we don't trade in our world in the United States. We don't trade in baking or cooking and produce, vegetables, tomatoes, corn, rice, cattle, or milk. When you go pay your electric bill, you don't show up with a truckload of sheep and trade. When you go pay your water bill, you don't, empty, you don't open up your car door and say, hey, here's a bunch of garage sale items. Let's go see what you can do with it. That's for my bill. When we trade, what do we produce? When we, we, it's our income. It's what we earn. That's what we produce today in this world. We trade in money. That's just the way it is. And when we give God best place, first place in our lives and what we produce, we are giving him the first, the best of what we earn. But here's what we have a tendency to do. We say, God, I, I'll give you my time, but I just don't have any money. I'm not going to give you my money. It's almost as if we're saying, God, if I give you my money, then what am I going to do? I mean, I'll trust you with my time. I don't trust you with my money. Now listen, just think with me for just a moment. What we're saying is, God, I'll give you my time because I've got some of that. And after all, really, God, that doesn't really cost me anything. I'll trust you with my time. I just don't trust you with my money. And I, I guess we're forgetting that Scripture tells us that everything on this earth belongs to God. And he has chosen to channel some of it. And worldwide, let me tell you, a lot of it, as you look at the world, through you. He's trusting you with what is his. But then we look at him and say, God, I don't trust you with what is mine. We have a worship problem because we have more trust and faith generally for most Americans. We have more trust in our money than we do our God. I guess we just forget we say to him, thanks for trusting me, God, but I just don't trust you. I can't give you the first of what I produce. If we were really honest, we'd say it this way, because I've already spent it, God. But I'll give you this instead. I've got plenty of this. I'll give you some of this. Sometimes we say, God, when I make more, if I get my bills paid, once I get things in order, then I'm going to give to you more. That's what we have a tendency to say. The problem is that never happens. Statistically, it, it really, statistically, it never happens. In the United States, it doesn't happen. Statistically, this is what shows as someone makes more money, they spend more money. As someone makes more money, you know what the statistics show? As they make more money, the percent of their giving, instead of going up, actually gets smaller. Now, they may be giving some more dollars, but when they look at the percent of their income, that's what the real number is there in the percent. It actually goes down. Statistically, when we make more, we tell God that. When I get more, I'll give more. And the world looks at us and they say, what are you doing with all of that? If, if I could only, they have $2 a day. We have a worship problem. We're just challenging. This, this is just part of worship. This is not the totality. This is not the whole thing. So let me just encourage you in this. I, I would encourage you just to look at, at your giving, your, your trusting God in the whole money area. Just look at it. And I know if you're new, uh, one of the reasons people hate church is because churches always talk about money. 
we don't hardly ever talk about money. You just happen to hit the day. <laughs> Jackpot. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> Please come back. We won't be talking about money next week. <laughs> Good news. We hit it. You don't, you're, you're safe next week. But here's the thing. We're just challenging you. If you're, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, just look at whatever the percent is, whatever it is, just Figure out the percent. Here's your income. Here's the percent. Figure it out. And just systematically say, God, I, I'm, I'm going to trust you more, a little more as the year goes on. A little more next, a little more. Just trust him and see that percent change. Systematically decide. Just like we're giving God first place. We're going to decide first place in the morning. We're going to decide first place during the week. And we make a decision. To say, God, I'm going to decide first place, even with my money, where most Americans reveal their true worship with their money. We're going to say, God, I'm going to make a decision to make you first. And just look at it. I'm not telling you what it needs to be. That's between you and God. Just look at it and say, God, I'm going to love you more. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, if you don't trust the church, let me just say, if you don't trust the church, with 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 money that God has channeled through you, I'm gonna just just give it give it somewhere. I have good reasons to believe that God has chosen to place you here to do that here. But if you don't trust us, I'm just telling you, you have a free pass. Give it and see what just see somewhere. This is not an effort for us to increase our budget. Just trust God. Give him first place. Because why? Because, because we love him. We give him our first. We give him our best. Not our leftovers. Now here's the last part of this. When it comes to your life, you can't give him your first part because this won't work. Because somehow this changes when it comes to your life. When it comes to your life, if you give him just the first of your life, then that's an obligation. Immediately, instantly, it's just obligation if you give him the first part of your life. In the case of your life, you have to give him the best part. And in order to do that, it's your whole life. Let's just go back to the words of Jesus again. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Not most, not one out of seven days, not just in the mornings. Your heart, just in, your all, all your heart. All your soul. That's that part of you looking through your eyes right now that God has created in you to live forever. Your soul. All of your mind, not part. All. That's what he said. Not just the first part of your life. It's going to be the best part. It's going to be all. Our whole lives given to God in a response of love, not obligation. He doesn't want your life out of obligation. That's religion. He doesn't want that. He wants it out of love. Your whole lives given because you love him in a response to what he has so graciously done for you and for me. Jesus did not give you a part of his life. He gave his whole life for you. And our whole life given back to him in love. Listen to how Paul describes this. It's, it's amazing to me. Romans chapter 5, starting with verse 8. But God showed his great love for us. Not, not, not religion. Not an obligation. He did not do this because he was obligated. It was, oh, I just I got to do this now. I it was out of love. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ, that's Jesus, to to die for us while we were still sinners. He wasn't waiting on us to do better, to get better. He wasn't waiting on us to act right, to straighten up. 
He wasn't waiting on us to do the right thing or to do more or to, to, to be better and earn it. He did it while we were still sinners. Verse 9. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Verse 10, for since our friendship with God, there's the word right there again, God wants a relationship, a friendship with you. For since our friendship with God, not religion, not obligation, our friendship with God was restored by the death. Jesus gave it all up to his death. Was restored by the death of his son while we were his enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son because three days later he walked out of the tomb. He defeated death. Verse 11, here's what it all comes down to. So now we can rejoice. It's not, so now we owe God because he did all that. Now we owe him. Now we're obligated. Now we have to, oh, I've got to do this now, or God's going to do something bad to me if I don't do this good. No, he said, now we can rejoice in this wonderful new relationship, not religion, not obligation, not have to. He said, this is a relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ, he has made us friends of God. And our response to that is simply this, because you love him, give him your first, your best, not your leftovers. Now I'm asking the band to come up, but don't check out yet. We're going to do two songs. Before we do, I have several questions I'm just going to ask. Do not answer these out loud. These are just to help you get going this week, to focus, to help your focus on your relationship, your steps with Jesus this week. Here are some questions for you. Think about these things. As I've taught this morning, where did you get defensive? Where did you push back this morning as I've taught? And be aware of that area because here's why. Whatever area that was, be aware because you're probably treating that area with a sense of obligation and have to and very possibly void of relationship and love. So be sensitive to that. Be aware of that this week. As I have taught this morning, where has your heart actually kind of leapt and jumped? Where, where did your heart say, oh, yeah, 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 I, I can do that. I can do that. Pay attention to that. That's God's kind of giving you the green light. Go there. Go. Go, the, go with that. As I've taught this morning, where... Where for you, as I have kind of pressed in and drilled in a little bit on some topics and some things, where, where were you sensitive? And, and where were you kind of sore? You said, oh, that's a little tender when you press there. When you, that, that, that's a little sore, a little, it hurts a little. Pay attention to that. Because here's what that means. It means God is possibly wanting to grow you in that area to help heal and change and grow there. Pay attention to whatever area that might have been. Has God possibly told you something specifically that maybe we didn't even talk about today, but as we were teaching, God kind of spoke to your heart something very specific. Pay attention to that. Pay attention to that. He may have been saying, I want you to show me some first place, best place in your life with something we didn't even mention. What happened as we were discussing in your heart, what happened as we were talking about the first of your day? Spending time with God at the beginning. Do you find yourself only going to God when you need something? Do you find yourself just going to God, spending time with God when you have a list that you want to present him? Pay attention to that. What about the first of your week? For the first of your week, have maybe 
you found yourself over the past year maybe being in a habit of of giving God the first of your week when you just had a free weekend or just kind of opened up and you said, this one's good, I'll, I'll go this weekend? Or have you maybe been giving God the first of your week when you know you really blew it the week before and you're like, I've got to do something good. I've got to make up for that. Pay attention. What did God tell you about the first of your week? And what about the first of what you produce? I guess really what we're asking is, have in your life, have you been giving God your leftovers? Or have you, out of love, been giving him the first place, the best place? What about all of your life? The first of you, the best of you. You can't divide your life up and just give him part because really here's how that works. God either has all of you or he doesn't have any of you. So what about your life? Pay attention to anywhere where we've talked today where you've been a little bit sore, where you've pushed back possibly a little bit. Pay attention. If there was an area as we talk, because we're sharing this out of love and care, if there was an area that actually made you mad, pay, pay attention to that area, not your anger. Pay attention to that area. If we continue to live our lives by just meeting the obligations, by just saying, this is what I should do, I ought to do, I know I need to do, then we're living a life of a religion, and God hates religion. God wants your worship. He wants a relationship, and that comes from love, not religion. Let's pray. God... As Paul reminded us this morning that you have offered us this amazing friendship with you. And it only happens because of the death of Jesus. In fact, he died while we were still your enemies. So God, now we can rejoice in this wonderful new relationship, void of a religion, out of obligation, but God, a relationship out of love because of what you have done for us in Christ, making us friends with God. Thank you. And, and it is in the name of Jesus, our friend, that we pray. Amen. Let's sing these songs.